Hi, this is Brian. Welcome back to another episode of Art About Art, my podcast where I talk about art which comments on other art. So, not a podcast about art per se, but a podcast about art criticism or art that's about other art. Also, sometimes art that's about artists, which is today. You know, often we find like a lot of art about art criticism and stuff when it takes on um, a media role that's other than like a review or or written or verbal criticism you know like a movie about a movie kind of thing then it's all often very often is about actually being an artist which is very relevant to today's podcast and today's topic and today's piece of art which is another movie I know the f- the last episode I did was about uh, was a movie as well, and if you're just hopping in, starting on the last episode, you'll think, "Oh, this is a podcast about movies," and this guy really likes movies. I actually don't watch that many movies. I watch a lot of movies, really. Um, choose whichever one of those you want to believe. The fact is, not all of these episodes will be about movies. In fact, next episode, we're going to be talking about an essay. And the episode after that, we're going to be talking about some musicians, some specific bands, and then specifically those um, artists from those bands. So we've got a breadth of things. But but today, we're going to talk about another movie. And the movie is Tempopo. Slightly famous movie. Tampopo. And the gimmick of this movie is, uh, you know, it flashes on the screen a ramen western. Tampopo means dandelion, and it is from the language Japanese. It's a a Japanese movie, i.e. from Japan. And we'll get into it a little bit more, but as we go on, but this movie is about art, or even more appropriately, craft and craftsmen and artists. Um, but it's a, a comedy movie made in made in Japan that came out in 1985, and of course Japan, and it's a sort of we'll just say for now for ease, so you get an idea of what it is. It's an it's a parody of the spaghetti western, right? So it's the ramen western, a pretty obvious joke and and one worthy enough to base a movie around, I'd say. And I guess that's a good place to start as any. Oh, I, I was going to say my, my co-host going to be here today. He was actually planning on it. He instead did a D&D session. So he'll be here next week. And oh my gosh, we're going to talk about this episode. And we're going to talk about the last episode. And I have this one story about my dog, which was really cool. I'm going to tell him in between episodes. And we are going to have a lot of energy built up. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think you guys are really going to like it. Okay, so the idea of this movie being a parody is kind of a good place to start. When it, it, it that fact itself almost means that the movie is going to be a comment, right? So parody is a comment on the thing it's parodying, if nothing else. And in this, it's parodying the Spaghetti Western, or just let's just generically go to it's parodying the western uh westerns kind of had their heyday last last century they really peaked they kind of died out when the dime store western novel 
and then lots and lots of TV shows that are categorized as Westerns um, right, were flooding the air. And then it sort of died out. And then this movie comes along in, I'm, I mean, I'm in a, in a pretty big lull. Like the 80s were a pretty big lull. Um, despite Western movies kind of being constantly made and different groups of artists have taken them up, they always make it to the blockbusters. There's always one a year or there's one every few years that really makes it high. I mean, recently we had the Ballad of Busker's Grugs or whatever that's called, um, hitting hard on Netflix. I'm sure there's a bunch of others, but you know, all the Quentin Tarantino movie, the ones he's done, the Hateful Eight, he's done a bunch of them. Anyway, so it, it this movie came out when Westerns were past their peak, but they had this interesting thing where they do keep on seeping through culture, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But so Westerns had their peak, and a Western... You know, I don't know. Should I do the dumb thing that sometimes like essays and podcasts too, where they like explain it as if you had never heard of the thing? Nah. So a Western is a Western. It takes initially. Now, Western has um, lots and lots and lots and lots of countries and genres have taken the idea of a Western. So when you say Western, yes, it does mean Western United States or Canada and even Alaska a little bit kind of at its root. But lots of different countries have, like, I think, I think Russia is the one that has Eastern Westerns. And of course, a lot of people are going to take the style and then the geography of it anyway. But a Western has a lot of, of cool elements, unique elements, which is why it keeps reappearing. I guess I won't say unique, but I would say, uh, like mythical, um, and and grounded elements that are put through a very visceral and realistic and gritty lens, right? So where we get a lot of gritty and realistic things, movies and pieces of art often are missing this mythic quality, which I think Westerns have. You have these qualities like team assemblage, like you have the movie, the old, the classic, the one that really hit Westerns off, Stagecoach, you know, which wasn't an assemblage assemblage of characters, but it was a gathering of characters. And when you have, it's a very good trope in, in, in literary or, or cinematographic, I guess, technique, because when you have a cast of characters and, they're, and the drama of the movie is about their differences and interpersonal relationships and likenesses and interpersonal relationships, then you have an event or an object and usually a dramatic one around which they circle, right? So they all interact with this. You place this thing and it's like they're all around it and they're all looking at it from different angles and interacting with different angles. And this gives us a very clear and immediate, very, very quick, um, idea of what each character is like. You know, think of uh, 12 Angry Men, right? It's probably the best example of this type of movie, despite it not being a Western, where you have a bunch of different people, they're all talking about one subject, and so you have, immediately you get to know, like as soon as one pipes up, he's talking about the thing which everyone is referencing. You know, he's not at home. We don't have to wonder what his opinions are. We get a, a very 
well-rounded, or at least we get a well-rounded team through all of these hyper personalities when they're when they're zoned in on all the single object or event. So that happens a lot. Like in the movie Stagecoach, or in the movie I just mentioned, which is Hateful Eight, where they're all in the same room, which is a wonderful idea. I'm going to watch that movie again. I remember having fun watching that. Got this idea of the element of the single element. They're all in the same room. And then there are some thematic elements of, of which they all um, circle around. But the more the most obvious and the most one that's productive towards this point is that they're all in the same room. And so you immediately get to see how they interact within reference to each other by using that object in this case, in the case of Hateful Eight, the room. Um, revenge is sort of a thing, but I won't, I don't, a big mythical thing in, in Westerns, but it's not necessarily revenge. It's it's like righteous revenge. It's not vindictive, and I think vindictiveness is probably the most evil thing, right? It's, if I can't have this, then no one will. Right? So you you want to thing and you're not allowed to have it, so you whine about it. And so you want to destroy the thing, right? Insane. And maybe I'm a little biased. I've had employees who worked for me who like, you know, when we let them go or we end the relationship, even if it's not a hard one to end, you know, and it's obvious, they'll, they'll turn around and do a 180. And it's just like, you know, I never respected you. I was never... I never liked this job. You know, it's uh, the the vindictiveness comes out of it. It's like, if I can't have it, then no one can. Um, let's see. We have, there's always some sort of skill and ability, you know, usually like with shooting and writing. That's an obvious one. I don't have anything interesting to say with that. Courage. Courage is one that's always present in Westerns and a lot of that, times that goes with the the righteous revenge right which takes a lot of courage and maybe courage is such a big thing within western because it feeds into that righteous revengeness lonerness is one um ballad of buster scruggs is a good one for lonerness you know you've got the guy who goes out into the into into find the gold and stuff and then the other loner guy kills him, you know, lonerness, being alone, right? And being alone is cool and it works really well and it and it helps, it really bolsters Westerns because being alone or watching someone being alone is prime for action and suspense because when you're alone, you're, you're um, subject to more danger, right? And even, even, within like a camera frame or, you know, whatever the equivalent to, to a camera frame is when we're talking about literature and books and novels, even with that, we don't have other things going in our mind. We just have this person and this, per we don't have other people to think about. It's this person and this person's safety. So they're important, right? If they're not there, then the movie's not there. Uh, and then kind of along with that, like Westerns also had this like one man ingenuity, right? So, and it's like more about like ingenuity itself, not the result because in Westerns often it doesn't turn out well, or you kind of slightly should be questioning of whether it turned out well or weighing which character was right and which one was wrong, regardless of the result, 
Um, so what's that one with Doc Holliday? Um, you know, an East of Eden is not a Western, but, you know, has that, the novel has that sort of stuff where it's, it, it really celebrates ingenuity and it doesn't, it really disregards the result of the ingenuity, at least on an individual basis. Um, what's that? There will be blood, right? So that movie is all about one man and individualness and ingenuity of the man to go out and build oil wells and then to make a company based on that oil well. But of course, it doesn't turn out well for him or well for him. No pun intended. So those are those are some of the things which makes Westerns like cool and it makes people want to period it. And I think when we go into Tampopo, we're going to kind of look at some of those. So I bring them up because they're relevant to what we're going to talk about and they're relevant to how Tampopo comments on things, on Westerns themselves, um, and on art. So we can just keep those things in the back of our mind and maybe we'll figure out some more and think of some more. I do want to comment a little bit on the parody. A, a parody itself, like I said, we can consider a comment on art. A parody means... A parody wants to use the popularity of, an, of a genre to either comment to people that like that genre or about the genre itself and usually a, a combination of the two so right so it it wants to it's it's using the genre to get you to listen if you like that genre and um it could be also a comment on the genre itself so it's a it's a self-aware thing right someone specifically chose to use the genre for a very specific reason and they knew that people were going to think about the parody-ness of it. So it, it's definitely in some way the person who came up with the idea to use the genre for parody has some sort of idea about the genre which allows it to be parodied. Um, so when this kind of meta-ness of it, you know, the parody being an obvious comment, you don't have the same manufactured separation between the audience and the movie. The audience doesn't have to buy into this into make believe, and it doesn't call for suspension of disbelief. So when you watch a regular movie, you sit there, you zone out, and you kind of get involved with the characters. You know, your emotions go up and down, um, and you're not thinking about necessarily all the time how the movie is made, or um, you're not you're not thinking about ideas that aren't directly correlated to the emotion of the characters and and the color and aesthetic of the scene and the setting. Uh, Although, of course, I will put a small caveat in, and I don't want to take this caveat very far, but I think on this podcast that someday we will. Um, When you are suspending your disbelief, um, sometimes a movie can kick you out of that, and it it can cause you to ideate. Um. And if it does it well, it's really cool, right? But it and it sometimes intentionally, and if it doesn't intentionally, you know, that's great. And sometimes it can even cause you to ideate about something which leads you back into the narrative, which is super great. Again, a great topic and something we could talk about because sometimes, and then sometimes that ideating brings you away from the movies and it causes you to disengage with it, like maybe a plot hole, right? A plot hole in a, in a, 
a narrative movie will pull you out of the movie and it won't let you re it won't help you to re-engage with the movie in fact for a lot of people it would help you to disengage with the movie so that uh, a normal narrative movie that has a normal um, suspension of disbelief mechanism required to engage in it has this ability to do what the parody does which is um, be self-aware and allow the audience to ideate about the actual structure of the movie sometimes in a good way sometimes in a not good way when a person is engaging with art like a parody you can insert ideas into the thing and the person is ready to accept them because of that non-immersion okay get it so if i have a political message i'm going to first go to the more self-referential self-aware arts like parody right parody is the perfect example so i'm going to take a genre and not only do I get to use all the tropes of that genre and I get to make the excuse that like I don't have to innovate on to them besides the comedy I'm adding onto it. I just get to steal them. And then because people know that it's that's what's happening and that there's some sort of message going to happen, then I can give a message. Right. So we're going to see politics, you know, uh, one of the big things is going to be parody. You know, of course, we have political message coming through emotional gunction, right? So uh, um, when if we can get people feeling and, and moving, then we can give a message at just the right moment so that they connect their emotions to the political message. You know, so you might, uh, you know, oh, gosh dang, another, another sidetrack, but you might have a movie where um, a slave is getting whipped, and then, you know, the, somehow the message comes in as they're getting whipped. Like, you know, this obviously this movie is about how uh, we still treat black people X way. Um, and, you know, whether the message is correct or not, that person might be moved because they're watching someone getting tortured and thus connect that emotion to the political message, right? It's a simple tool that a movie maker might use and does use, and I wouldn't even be surprised if that example was was used. So because of this level of ideation, this level of non-immersion that a listener, reader, watcher sits in compared to um, a normal, more narrative or a normal uh, piece of art which requires more immersion, into the character's emotions, aesthetic of the piece and, and the art of it in general. Um, parody you'll notice and you'll find this to be correct in observation is ripe for politics and you know even satire. Now satire is not parody, although the two are interlinked and, and satire is a wonderful conversation we can have because it's like, it's one of those things which is like used for evil or used for good. It can be full of derision and and disgustingness or it can be uh, a beacon of hope um you know in either way be scathing right so you don't have i'm not saying good set tire is nice because it's not and that's another uh trail that i don't want to get on but we probably will at some point you know along this podcast journey so you'll, you'll have a lot of these political 
messages within parody, which kind of sits up, sits right under importance for the political message, right under the the emotional draw or the emotional message, which I just talked about there. But even though politics do use parodies, a parody does not automatically mean that there is going to be politics. So when that person is watching the parody is sitting on this level of ready to ideate, ready to have a thought about something because they're not as immersed as they would be with different sorts of arts. Message can be any style. It doesn't have to be politics. It's just mostly politics. And we use politics to sort of jump into the idea of this because you can notice this all the time. The message could be um, a philosophical one. Um, it could be a comment on art, as we'll find today in today's movie. Um, which, okay, well, let's move to that. So we have the ramen western, the parody of the spaghetti western. And also there's things like um, there's a Rocky reference in there. And there's probably other references that I don't know. So it's it's more of like a a certain style of macho western or or, yeah, western as in. American movie parody, but most, but it takes a lot of references from, from the Western as a genre. And I, I think I'll do just a quick, um, or not quick, whatever. I, I think I'll jump in and be abrupt and give kind of some vibe about the movie. So we've been talking for a little bit now, <clears throat> and I want you to know what this movie is about, what, what its feel is if you haven't gotten that already. But Tempopo, it's, so it's like, like I said, it is a comedy. It was made in Japan, it's so Japanese. So if you watch it now, of course, you would need subtitles or you would need to understand the Japanese language or at least be able to read it. Oh, wait, no, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. It's not like you'd be putting on Japanese subtitles so you could read it in Japanese. Although maybe you could. Maybe that's more, that'll give you a better vibe of the movie if you knew how to read Japanese. So you put the Japanese subtitles on. Uh, okay, that's a big um as I find my way back. It's a movie, it's uh, the movie revolves around um, a bunch of different characters, and it and the movie follows these characters, and only some of them interact, a good portion of them do, but also not a lot of them do. And also, there's little segments of characters in there, so like you know, we're in a city, and then we might get 10 minutes of um, a pan up as the camera looks into an apartment building. And then we get 10 minutes of them, but they're of the characters in that apartment building. And it's kind of a full fledged little scene. There's a couple different moments like this. Sometimes our main characters are directly interacting with these segments. And sometimes they're not. Sometimes there's a couple of these segments, which feature the same characters, which are not our main characters, nor are our main um, characters interacting with them like the sex scenes if you've ever seen the movie so all these little segments very much work into the theme of the movie though and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit the main storyline is about this lady who owns a ramen shop her husband has died or left she has her son there as well and she just kind of wrotes her way about it she casually does it and it's not very good everyone knows it eventually she meets these people who want to help her and and the guy she meets is this um 
this very he's the western guy he's like oh you know he his story never comes out but it's a i had a bad experience as a ramen owner as a ramen shop owner it used to be my it used to be my life and it's how i lost my wife in the the ramen shop fire you know something think of it and and he's deserted it now he drives trucks across japan but the lady is willing to convince him you know so we've got a very very classical storyline and then they go and then we have different montages and different things of them working out how to run a good ramen shop and it's a very um mass uh, disciple master sort of thing which is kind of this infusion of westerns and japanese culture and uh you know at the end it's it's kind of a success story as she does she overcomes some things and you know they 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 gather a bunch of friends who all each have specialties that can help them run this ramen shop so that's what it is i mean that's the whole movie like i said interspersed with within this running of the ramen shop and learning how to run the ramen shop and montages and stuff about the ramen shop Dan Popo is is the character who owns the ramen shop by the way um, are these segments about other people and other things so to jump right back in the ideas that this the parody sort of allows for are very cool and they're about art and they're about craft and they're about crafters and they're about amateurs now there is a really cool uh, video, um, Tony Zhao, who's quoting someone. Or, um, I'm sorry, he's not quoting. Tony Zhao, uh, I was looking at a, the quote I wanted to read to you. Tony Zhao made this little short video you can find on YouTube about Tim Popo. And he kind of talks, he kind of talks about some of the similar things that I want to talk about, but not really. A little bit he does. Um, but he, he brings up this cool quote about amateurs. So this movie is about amateurs and it's about, about artists who are non-professional, specifically non-professional artists and people who are very interested in what they're doing so much that they kind of have blinders on and they, they're maybe eccentric because of it. Anyway, the reason I bring up the Tony's out thing because I think it's a very good video you can go watch in partnership to my podcast, um, or you know, shut up my podcast off and go watch the video. That's okay too. But he gives this quote from Michael uh, Michael Shaban, who I don't know who it is. Shaban. Anyway, what's most important is not these people. Who cares? Anyone can say things, but they did a good job in saying this thing. I'm rambling. The quote is. Amateurs are people that combine obsessive scholarships, passionate curiosity, curatorial tenderness, and an irrepressible desire to join in, right? You may know someone like this, obsessive scholarship. So someone who is so invested in the thing that they're doing scholar work, but they're not being published because who would publish them? Passionate curiosity, right? So, you know, where sometimes the professional or the academic is is just sort of, um, driven by the need to the work that needs to be done this person is curious and maybe has a more open uh, openness to the different things that he doesn't different opinions and ideas that don't have to be vetted by kind of a larger uh, culture of 
scholarship and scholars and school and academic academia tender about his and an irrepressible irrepressible um desire to join in which is kind of a big one they want to be part of the group they want to be part of the community and what do they want to do they want to talk to people who are interested in what they're interested in you know it's focused on the interest and that i think this idea of interest and this idea of the in interested person having this great desire to join in are two specific things that are very important to this movie um, this this movie catalog catalogs crazy space the amateur occupies when they're in, intently involved in their interest i mean each 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 character within the movie whether it be within the main the main group or one of these side these side narratives is bolstered by connections and community so that his interest is helped and not hindered. So it's not academia and it's not scholarship and it's not school which drives these things. It's it's first the interest in a thing and then the community built in, around it. The movie wraps its themes around multiple arcs, many stories, and explore aspects of the life and philosophy of the of the amateur uh one of the characters and I'll, I'll go through a few of them there are a lot of fun ones one of the characters the one that actually introduces the film um finds a lover to explore his interest with so like think about it when you when you meet someone Well, let me go back and say that their particular interest, now this movie is all about food. So even all the side things are about food and a lot of them are about ramen. So that's nothing to be ignored, but it, it's less important for us today what the specific, on this podcast, what the specific interest is. But these people, this man, and he meets this woman who have this lust for food. And I say lust because it often turns sexual and we get a few sex scenes involving weird food things there's just one scene where they're spitting an egg yolk back and forth into each other's mouth until she finally breaks it you know as a sign of orgasm and it drips down her mouth and body um it's fun that's great like i'm all for sex scenes and i'm all for food during them i guess i was entertained uh th these people meet and they meet over an interest. And what happens when you meet over an interest is different, different things happen. Uh, you then like your normal, your normal um, kind of meeting over maybe casual interest. So if if you have a deep interest, the and 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 the re relationship starts around that deep interest. You have this symbiotic, circular relationship. So when you can talk to someone deeply about the interest, this newfound love you have, your love for the, and your love, your knowledge, your, the, the, how much you dive into the interest increases and you're reaching new heights within your interest because you're getting someone else feedbacking to you about it. So I never thought about it from that angle or I haven't thought about it that way, you know, where before no one can do this for you. It's just you. It's just you and your interest, you know, and, and you know, when you have a heavy interest, you everyone knows this. Everyone has something where you don't meet people that you can get to the nitty gritty about. You're always talking about the surface level stuff. If you're a painter, you're always talking about, 
you know, your art show and all this stuff, but you're not really ever talking about painting to someone, right? And maybe you do have a desire for that. Maybe you don't. But you do know, I know you know that when you do engage in those conversations, you have a lot of fun. So in this way, when you these lovers meet and when you meet your lover who is also interested in this thing. So right now we're right. We're back at that Western thing of circling, circling around one object. So we'd learn a lot about two characters that are circling around one event or one object or one thing. Anyway, when you meet someone who has this interest and you fall for them. Because of the interest, you engage more with the interest and you engage in, in cooler ways because they're bringing up different angles and stuff. And then what does that happen? Now your connection is stronger because your interest grows. The thing which was the foundation for your interest grows. And this is this is why communities built around an interest are, are potentially unstoppable. And, and they can reach that unstoppable status quickly because they have this engine going of I get deeper into the interest because the person is also interest deep into the interest and that makes us both deeper in the interest and it also at the same time makes us both more interested in and more want to be around each other more because the interest is growing right and then maybe even the interest trades to the person but regardless of that point do you understand we have this layered thing happening and I don't think it's a coincidence that this character also has one of the two death scenes in the movie. Uh, and he carries, and during his death scene, he carries his interest through it. Even during his violent death, he's shot. He's not afraid. Afraid. His eyes don't get taken off what, what has caught them. He doesn't live in fear of death because while he's dying, because even death itself is second to the experience of his interest. You know, he dies thinking about his interest, you know, this interest that and he has his lover there, this person who grew this interest with him. So this trifecta of interest and the two lovers causes this man to just not have any fear of death because he's totally engaged you know, the the death is just another angle that he approaches his interest by. The You know, a man that can culminate his community involvement into a moment where he is completely engaged into something and is blind to fear or at least any fear that is not filtered through his interest overcomes death, right? But it, it takes this, one, it takes this interest. Two, it takes this community. And if you have that pair, you're done. Death is, you, you've, you've solved death. The main, and the other, another big character is Tampopo, who I brought up. The main and titular character inherited a ramen shop from her late husband. Um, you know, she kind of works and it's, she doesn't have a lot of passion for her work. The sense is that she hasn't considered that it could be anything but when we first meet her, she has her head down, she ignores customers, she's kind of putting out shoddy products. And that is until. This man who I, you know, said comes and helps her, gently nudges her, and not with kindness, no. And specifically, the movie's like, yeah, you're really nice and you're really kind, but, you know, he's very clear the ramen was not good. But with honesty, you know, not with kindness, but with honesty. Because he values the integrity of what he's interested in. And he almost nearly values it above just a slight social disturbance. 
So she has a moment of revelation, and from that revelation, a community is built. He gathers, and you know, he's she's able to humble herself and ask for help, and then he helps. They both build a um, American style, one person at a or one skill at a time um, community around the interest. It's like a switch in her. All she needed was this moment to realize that she could be interested. So that's a cool point too. So a lot of people have a skill or a talent. And, you know, they just kind of need a little bolster from someone who's also interested in the thing to help them engage even further and even deeper. So we get right back to that community aspect where you meet someone who's also engaged with the thing or ideally, you know, someone who's engaged more or maybe more skillful at it. And you're like that you now have your permission, right? You have permission to engage even more. Maybe you hadn't thought about it was even possible. But now you're advertised. What's being advertised to you is that it is possible and you can dig into this um, interest even even more. And then from then on in the movie, you know, she's kind of a pushover and she meets all criticism and novelty with a large smile. You know, she's glad, glad of the friendship. She likes everyone and she gets more and more excited by her growth. She begins to have like fever, like dreams, vivid dreams about how she cleverly confronts her competitors and then loses to them. She goes through garbage. She hangs out with the homeless all because someone jolted her out of complacency and she was put within a group that nurtured her, her newfound interest. You know, so you had this moment of revelation, this moment of permission of like, it's okay. I can do better. It's okay to do better. I don't have to go through this day doldrum day to day thing of making ramen. I could try to make a good ramen shop. This person can do it. I can do it. And then immediately be putting within that community, which is going to help and bolster that. Right. It's about advertising. It's about your the the character's surroundings. Um, all of the situations like have an amount of aggressiveness to them, and that's kind of even made fun of in the Rocky training scene. Community centered around interest and not like mindedness are like explosive for many of the reasons like I've already talked about. So when I say like mindedness i mean like gentleness um like we all want to be a community that thinks this way or we want to be a community that acts and has these values right maybe values is not the right word because interest can sort of be morphed into a, a value like you know you can make a list of things that you that surround your interests that the community is built around anyway right so but gentleness and in and um, uh, kind of this, this, this nod to public opinion, this, um, I think, you know, that, uh, a, a gentle community, which is specifically gathered around gentleness is not going to have that interest and that interest might take back seat. And it, it, it it's definitely 100% going to show a non-willingness to sacrifice for the interest because the the you what needs to be sacrificed might be the thing which takes precedence over that which is the like-mindedness and 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 gentleness there may be a hanging on to cord, cordiality which keeps you from engagement with others which would otherwise lead to deeper investment and a personal need to like interpersonal need to like and be liked is more important than interest and so the community is frail you know so it in the Western, 
the Western is good at this. That's one of the themes, right? Courage, you know, macho-ness, and, and community. Now, it, it is important to note that this this leading person is a lady, right? And she's right. She's one of the cowboys that would, you know, traditionally be in the Western. If that person went in there and, and that, that taught her all of her new ramen techniques, whatever, and, and put social niceties above his interest, then, you know, she would have never found, she would have never had her revelation and found her family. She would have never found her community. And, of course, I'm, I'm not going to give a bunch of caveats about what that does and does not mean. I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you can work that sort of stuff out. It doesn't, I'm not, I'm not condoning asshole behavior for the sake of some interest that you have. But I am talking about building a community around an interest and not around morality or ethics. And I think a community around morality or ethics, not as this as this movie demonstrates, but as it explores, is a frail one and one that will fail. A community around an interest, a group interest, is going to be one that is full of respect for the people in the community because you need those people there and for the growth of the interest and as a a byproduct of a respect for the interest. And you're just generally going to be a run around people who are involved in the interest. And if social niceties and getting feelings hurt, etc., is takes a back seat to the interest, eventually you're going to work those things out because you're becoming strong. Remember the, the, the couple at the beginning were you use the interest to build the relationship. And the relationship doesn't get weak. It gets stronger as you learn how to communicate deeper and deeper. And the interest grows. And then your interest in being around the person grows. And so those things get worked out anyway. You know, the, the sourness the, that comes with any community or interpersonal relationship. I think many, many things have tried to mimic this interest-based community and have become mostly mockers. I think of the mindfulness interest, which has grown from, to put it generically, a Western look at a conglomerate of Eastern philosophies and other systems. I think it's a prime example. The mindfulness cult touts paying attention to things. Now, I'm not talking about meditation. I'm talking about mindfulness. And, you know, meditation is a very healthy thing that we can secularly approach um, as a part of our health regimen. But I, I, mindfulness, the the cult and everything that comes with it, as I just said, um, is about paying attention to things. Um, and, and that comes in many different ways. Like, But the problem is like, you know, when a lot of po times when people give the caveat, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not real. Mindfulness is a lot of different things. So I don't want to just, you know, I don't want to be mean to all of it, but no, be, the fact that mindfulness is a lot of different things sort of works towards my point that it's, you know, a cult. Uh, it comes from many deep, it, it's, it can, you can take anything you want and preach about it. And because there's no real doctrine and there's no cohesion and catch it, catch it, uh, catechism and no main science. It's as long as you believe in the base foundation, someone can, you know, cult you any other way about it. Anyway, sometimes you're sitting down. Sometimes you're paying attention to your thoughts. Sometimes you're paying attention to what's coming up and letting them pass. And sometimes you're sitting down and having nice thoughts or fighting bad ones. 
And sometimes it's paying attention during daily activity, like making sure you like, you've heard like when you're doing the dishes, do the dishes, don't let your mind wander. And in this case, it, in that case, it's sort of an anti-intellectual exercise, which is meant to dumb you down, um, which is of course going to make you susceptible to cultish behavior and religion and religious pseudo nonsense ideas. Anyway, it is sort of almost like the interest community, the mindfulness one, but there's a very integral difference. You're not focusing on what you're interested in while in the, the mindfulness cult. I won't give it the word community. Uh, instead, someone else is telling you what you should be interested in and what you should focus on. And you what? I don't know. These people, you might have this, some sort of stupidity and laziness or you haven't um, put thought into it and spinelessness to listen to what, to what they say. Right? They say when you do the dishes, pay attention to the dishes. Or when, you, when you're, this is the kind of th good thoughts and these are bad thoughts. Or you should not be attached to your thoughts. You should just let them pass. You're letting, people are telling you what to be interested in. Do you understand how insane that is? They're telling you what to focus your thoughts on. Which is something we can do to, we do to children so that they learn. But you're an adult. You're a grown ass man or woman. You know, why, why are people telling you what you should be interested in? But they, if you if you follow your own heart and your own and, and you and you pay attention to your soulful acts and what draws you, what you're interested in, and you just be interested in it, if you are enthusiastic about it, that is what mindfulness is trying to get at. This this focus, this flow, this centered activity, which puts aside all other things in which is amazing work towards great interpersonal relationships and communities. But no one's telling you what to do. It's going to be a natural outflowing from just what you love. I think a lot of that is me, yes. But Tampopo sort of sparks these ideas and and and, and floats around in him. And honestly, Tampopo is kind of a deep enough movie that we could probably do another another half an hour or an hour and just pick another topic about it. Like I said, there's a lot of commentary on food and stuff. But I really like this angle of interest and community-based or interest-based communities that it explores. You know, all of the people in it are, I'm not going to say they're anti-professional, but I think the movie is anti-professional. All the professionals are bad people, all the amateurs, all the artists, all the craftsmen are the heroes in the story. But they, they manifest in so many different ways, such as a community would, right? So it's it's kind of the whole movie, and everyone is focused around the single interest, which is food, but their characters are so different. The homeless men, the businessmen, the American slurping the spaghetti, the people that are learning how to eat spaghetti nicely, and the dainty Japanese ladies, uh, there's just such a good breadth of character and characters and character archetypes that it's very analogous and and it's a, sorry it's an analogy that's a hard word to say it's an analogy towards this larger idea of a community built around interests being full of difference and that being okay right as, as, as instead of people softening their edges you leave your edges sharp 
because the interest is what's important. So that's the movie Tempo, and that's what I like about it. I, I think it's a clever film. I think you would really enjoy it.